listeners, it's Megan and Joby, and we're your two cackling hens. Each week, we bring unscripted, off-the-cuff, clucking good banter about a variety of topics. We're the friends you don't admit to knowing, but who say what you're really thinking. Well, hello, Joby. Hi, hello again, Megan. We are back. We are back. Welcome to your podcast. Thank you for welcoming to my podcast. Welcome to your podcast as well, because it's all podcasts. Thank you so much. Yes. You know, that warms my heart every week to hear that. You're welcome. And I am truly excited about this week's episode. We have been dying, literally dying. (laughs) How have we not done this sooner? Just I don't know how it took us that long. I don't know why we we were just sitting on this for some reason. And the funny thing is, okay, just so you know, let me just quit beating around the bush. <laughs> it's yes. about true crime. It's uh, about yes, so a love affair with true crime shows, true crime podcasts, true crime everything. You know what? Anything we, and everything. Anything and everything. Because true crime is the true horror, if you ask me. I think that like fact beats fiction any day you can't make this stuff up and honestly why we didn't didn't just make the entire podcast about this i have no clue <laughs> but don't think this is going to be the only episode about true crime because that's oh. not happening oh no 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 it's there's going to be more there there's going to be more it's actually one of the things that uh bonded jovi and i when we first met Literally, I didn't even ask her what her name was. I was like, "You like forensic files?" She was because like, that's all that matters. <laughs> all that matters. That's all that matters. And let's talk about what. Why do we like true crime so much? Why do people in general like to learn about other people's misery? Whether it's someone who is the victim of crime or someone who's done a crime, why are we so fascinated? I think that's so interesting. I mean, I think on a very basic level, everyone is just like, bitch, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm the one watching this. You know, say, damn, it's, it's almost like you know that in your mind, you know, you're watching something that actually happened to someone, but it almost feels fictionalized in a way. Because you kind of separate yourself from that person's story. It's like, oh, shit, that happened to them. You know, and it's kind of like that that spectacle of not looking away. It's something really, really horrible. You, you know, like looking at train wrecks, right? That's the, yeah. old, uh, that's the age old saying, like, you, you can't tear away, even though it's so awful. But I think with true crime or survival stories or things like that, Part of why it captures us so much is because everyone is thinking the same thing. What would I have done? Yeah. What would I have done in that situation? And would I have done something different? Or would I have gotten out of it? Or, you know, how would I have reacted? I think really when you're watching true crime, you're asking questions about yourself. I know I am. Constantly. Yeah. And for me... I think that when I watch true crime, it almost has parallels to me watching a horror movie. It's like, I'm I'm constantly, like like you said, when you're watching horror or you're watching something horrible, whether it's real or not, you put yourself into the situation. That's why it's so horrifying, you know? And for me, 
like I said, the parallels were the same and that I'm yelling at the TV like, no, bitch, run. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, we didn't. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's almost personal because true crime stories are personal stories. Mm-hmm. And the people that, that has happened to usually in the ones that we've seen, which are forensic files and assessed, they are giving their firsthand accounts of what happened to them, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also using true crime sometimes to study and prepare myself. I'm not even joking. Like, I will watch an episode of Forensic Files and be like, oh, was the gas station attendant? All right. Like, next time I get gas, I'm going to be extra cautious. I mean, seriously, it's made me a more cautious, aware person. Uh, It has also made me a far more paranoid and jumpy person. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of a give and take. Oh, yes. And I made the mistake in the beginning when I first started watching Forensic Files because my friend turned it on. My friend turned me on to it. He was like, you have to watch Forensic Files. I was like, this looks hella boring because it it's not like a it's not like a new, new show. Forensic Files is forever. Yeah, yeah, like it's been around since like late, late 90s, early 2000s. So it kind of has like that old school dateline kind of look. Mm hmm. And so I was like, oh, it's going to be boring. But I ended up, my first time when I was watching it, I ended up watching all of the episodes, like not all of the episodes on Netflix, because there's a ton of them, which go on Netflix and watch Forensic Files. Um, yes, try to try Hulu to watch. Too. Oh, it's on Hulu too. That's right. Yeah. Try, try watching just one. You cannot. I was up all night and I had, sh- I had like work to do. I had work the next morning. Like I was up all night. And I was like, oh shit. I've learned a lot about forensic, like people. I've learned a lot about like people's behaviors. I've learned a lot about myself, like things that I should be doing that I now do. And I basically learned that you can't even leave your house. You no. have to just stay in. No. Even, but even you also, you also can't stay in your house. Yes, the worst you, can't, you can't do shit. You can't stay, even stay in your house because true crime is going to somehow find its way house, to you. Nowhere is safe. Oh yeah. Okay. Nowhere so, is safe. Nowhere. 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 So when did you start becoming obsessed? Did you have like a pinpointed time in your life? Well, I always loved mysteries as a kid, not true crime, obviously, but you know, when I was a kid, I grew up reading like Harriet the Spy and Nate the Great. Like I loved mysteries. And then when I got a little bit older, when I was in high school, I read Helter Skelter which is, I highly recommend for anyone interested in true crime. It is written, it's about the Manson murders. It's about how they caught them and, you know, the trial that ensued. And I think to date, I've read that book at least four separate times. And I think that was really the inciting incident where I became obsessed with true crime. And particularly for a time, the Manson murders. So that was my kind of gateway. And, you know, X amount of years later from high school, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm watching TV shows. I'm reading books. You know, I'm watching 2020 religiously. I'm watching documentaries. You know, it just never stops. And there is never, never a shortage of content, especially in this day and age where it really seems to have taken off. Because I think before, if you were really into true crime, because I remember getting this with the Manson murders, people looked at you kind of funny. And today, I don't think anyone would really look at you that funny. Everyone's obsessed with it. 
Yeah. And before people would read books, like read crime novels. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, like, um, I don't know any crime novels. Um, but for me, it, my introduction was not, it wasn't crime novels. I, but I did love, um, mysteries. I loved mysteries as well, but I think for me, it was a fascination with psychology and the human psyche. And I had this weird, I went through this weird phase in high school where I was really fascinated with psychopaths and serial killers. And I kid you not, my first check that I ever got So my first, it wasn't like an official job, but I worked as a, um, a student, uh, polling place person during, uh, one of the elections, like the primaries. Um, and I got my first check. It was a hundred dollars. This is how much of a nerd I was or a dork or whatever. I went, (laughs) the first thing I did with my hundred dollars, I went to Barnes and Noble or Borders or whatever, went to a bookstore and I bought AP review books (laughs) specifically I bought AP government and AP psych. And I also bought a coffee table book about serial killers and it had like different American serial killers and things that they've done. And I was just kind of hooked. Like, wow. Like for me, it's the thought of like, it's unfathomable for me for someone to be able to have a mind space where they can justify horrific things. Like, I don't think that way. I'm a very empathetic person, you know, and to learn about some of these people who some psychopaths are not, they don't commit crimes. They're just psychopaths with no conscience, but there's some people who take it to the next level. There's people who from watching forensic files, I've learned there's people who have motives and there's people who just murder just to murder. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting what human beings can justify and what they're capable of. And I feel like when you watch forensic files, there's t- there tends to be three categories according to like the narratives that they tell the different episodes. So it's, it kind of serves as, as a, as a, and not like an anthology, but like every episode is a different story. It's a different case. So I feel like the cases kind of fall into these three categories in forensic files. It's either someone trying, and it, it, it kind of boils down to the ancient evils. It's like greed, like money, you know, or like sometimes it's um, greed, lust, revenge. Yes, and then the the ones that really scare me are the random ones. Yeah, I agree. Like people who have no motive at all. They just wanted to kill someone. And this is not going to be the episode that I'm going to be discussing on Forensic Files, about Forensic Files, but there was one particular episode that unnerved me because this guy broke into a woman's home, waited till she got home, and killed her because he was going to go to jail anyway for child molestation. Oh, I know this episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, he he was going to go to jail for child molestation because he molested his own child and he didn't want to go to he didn't want to go to jail and be known as that. He yep. was like, "Fuck it, if I'm gonna go to jail, I want to be known. I want to go to jail for another reason." So he decided to go to jail for murder, for murder. So he he planned it, and in his own head, it was okay. It was justifiable, you know. So yeah, psychopaths. That's well, the reason why like, we get fascinated with people like Ted Bundy because he just looks like a normal dude. In fact, he's a pretty good-looking dude, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet he's boiling brains in his, you know, in his spare time. Uh, it, it just, you can't quite fathom eating another person or, you know, executing another person in, in the way that 
the big, you know, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, uh, Ed Gaines, um, are just so far out of the spectrum of what a normal human being thinks about or is capable of. And we get really, really fascinated by it. We get fascinated by anything that's out of the norm. You know, this is just another extension of that to some degree. And it's the animality. It's the animality yes, of exactly. it for me. Like, like it's, it's, and I feel like all true crime cases really, really, really fascinate me. But it's the, I mean, I hate to say, you know, murder porn. <laughs> that murder porn. <laughs> yeah, they got safe it space is, to say but, that. But it's truly the crazy crimes. Like, the ones where I'm just like, whoa, 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 what? Like, where I'm just like, okay, no human... Wh- Watching watching crew time crew yeah true crime documentaries has made me really just come to terms with the fact that anyone is capable of anything. True. Yeah, agree. Like, like anyone, you know. But um, I have a forensic files episode. I'm pretty sure you've seen because I've seen each episode like ten times over. This one really just it made me kind. It made me really sick. I couldn't stop thinking about this particular episode and all of the episodes are pretty gruesome. So there are some episodes in forensic files that truly, truly shock me that are shocking. And this one in particular was really shocking to me, not because of the, the act itself, but because of the psychology of the person, like the psyche, like this person is a true psychopath And let me just give you a quick synopsis of this episode. It's called Freeze Framed. And basically, it's on Forensic Files. It's a Forensic Files episode, Freeze Framed. This woman kills her first husband, which was ruled as a heart attack. So no one knew that she killed him, but they ended up finding out that she did kill him. She gets away with it, comes off with uh, some insurance money. That's another another reoccurring uh, theme with Forensic Files, by the way, insurance money. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, people killing for insurance insurance money. Yeah, don't ever ever get life insurance and put your spouse's name on it like <laughs> don't ever get married for that matter yeah, yeah. You know, don't, have, don't ever kill you just stay in your house just don't don't have any human interaction so this woman kills her first husband gets away with it gets some money then she kills her second husband and she makes this one look she makes she like sets the scene up so that it looks like he killed himself by suicide by uh suicide by antifreeze antifreeze and for what I've learned from um, Forensic Files, I from Forensic Files, I think that I should be a certified uh, CSI uh, tech because I do a lot now. Um, antifreeze is a horrible way to die. Like, it is, it is one of the most painful ways you could die. Like, I'm talking, like, diarrhea. Like, it's very painful. And the cops were a little skeptical because they were saying, you know, she was trying to weave this narrative that he was suicidal and she called the police and she was like, Hey, my husband's locked in the room. I haven't heard from him in days. Can you guys open the door? And they opened the door and they discovered him there with the antifreeze. And so she, in her own little psychopath mind, she was so confident that she would get away with it. And what's interesting is that like, when you watch these episodes about people with huge egos and, and them thinking that they're going to get away with it, you see from your rash, your own rational mind, the holes that can be poked into like their plan. Like she was leaving evidence everywhere. Like, by the way, like, 
I know this episode inside and out because yeah. it is, if you can have a favorite episode of Forensic Files. Yeah. But wasn't yeah. there also a it 2020 gets special on this? There was. There was a 2020 special and it's on Hulu and it's called The Black Widow. But this this episode gets even worse. So oh, yeah. She's much, much yeah, worse. Yeah. She's leaving like evidence around. She left like a turkey baster with yes. the anti-freeze itch. Like, itch. And then the cops, they start to suspect her because her because giveaway they're was, dum-dums. they're yeah. not stupid. But in her own egotistical mind, she's a fucking genius, right? So during her interview with the cops, she, for some reason, was calling it anti-free. So just remember that, listeners, that she called it anti-free. No one else on planet Earth calls it anti-free. It's called anti-freeze. So they noted that because they're fucking detectives and that's what they do is notice things. So they noted that. And so she was like, yeah, my husband, you know, he drank, I think he drank the anti-free, da-da-da-da. So they're like honing in on her and she's like sweating. She's like, oh shit, I think they're going to pin this on me. So then she devised a second plan to pin this on her daughter. But here's how she did it. Here's the kick here. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to pin it on my daughter, but I'm going to make it look like it is a murder-suicide. So then she, unknowing to her daughter, she slips her daughter some kind of a drug in a drink and tries to kill her own blood daughter, writes a fake confessional, supposedly coming from the daughter that the daughter said, oh, I killed, I killed daddy, blah, 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 with the anti-free. And the girl doesn't die. The sister discovers the girl the next morning and the girl's on the brink of death from this poison that her mom gave her, that she doesn't know that her mom gave her. And the do- and the, the, like, the mom's like, oh shit. And so she has to call the ambulance. So they call the ambulance and the girl lives. And so then, by then, the cops, they discover the suicide note while the girl's in the hospital because the mom is so egotistical. She thinks that her daughter's going to die in the hospital, right? So she presi- like the cops find the note and she's like, yeah, my daughter wrote this note, blah, 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 blah. And, oh, you know, she tries to pin it on the daughter. And the daughter's like, I didn't write this note. Like, like my mom gave me this drink and that's the last thing I remember. So the cops start to put it all together. They cannot believe that this woman kills her husband, tries to kill her daughter. It turns into an inv- a double, like triple investigation because now they want to investigate the suspicious death of her first husband. So now it turns into this huge, huge case. And she ends up being tried and convicted of both murders, the attempted murder of her daughter. And as she's on the stand, she's denying everything. Hand on the Bible. I don't know if you remember this, but she's still, oh, she's still like, she still tries to pin it on her daughter and her daughter's in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. They interview the daughter in the 2020 special and it's, yes. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Oh that's, that's her mom. Yeah. That episode. I mean, and there is a lot of episode of forensic files and there's a lot of episodes that we've both seen as in, you know, all of them. That one stands out to me. It always has. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's heart wrenching really is and her daughter is was not that old and was trying to come to terms with the fact that not only was her mom trying to kill her she was trying to frame her for a murder yeah her mom killed her dad and killed her stepdad and tried to kill her that's insane and she still denies it to this day yeah to this day 
I would highly recommend that Forensic Files episode, and I would highly recommend the 2020 special, uh, The Black Widow. On oh, it, which yeah. is also on Hulu. 2020 is on Hulu. So it, yeah. it sounds like we're out here shilling for Hulu. And um, <laughs> if they want to sponsor us, we totally will because uh, we yeah. love Hulu. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're not getting anything for this. Yeah. Hulu ain't, Hulu ain't giving us no money for this. No, this but is they like, should. They should. But this is just pure natural fascination with the morbid. Well, because the other show that we're talking about, Obsession, is also on Hulu. Yeah. Full um, yeah. title, Obsession, Dark Desires. And I just recently discovered this show, and I turned Jovi onto it, and I binged watched the hell out of it. There's three seasons on Hulu as of this taping. And it's about stalking and obsession, as the title would suggest. Um, but it's it's women, and I think there's one man maybe in the whole series yeah Mostly there was only women. there was only like one guy but maybe like one or two maybe yeah and it's women telling the experiences that they've had you know being stalked and having a a lover or a, a former lover or a stranger or you know, whoever um becoming obsessed with them and stalking them and just what happens the aftermath and perhaps the most disturbing part of all of these episodes is nobody does anything. The authorities, there, there's not a lot of legislation in place concerning stalking, you know? And really what the authorities end up telling you is, well, unless they do something, I have nothing to charge them with. So yeah. basically, until they murder you, I can't charge them with anything. That Sorry. was shocking. That was the most shocking thing to me because you just think like culturally, I feel like people just think, oh, so, oh, somebody's following you. Oh, you know, no, like it's, it's frightening. It's really, really frightening. And I feel like, yes, we've come a long way with stalking legislation, but we, there's still a long way to go apparently, but, um, oh, you haven't. Yes. Yeah. And I've, I've, I didn't even know that I was, you know, I, I guess it could be considered stalking, but I've been stalked apparently. Like after watching the show, I was like, oh my God, like I, like we were talking about, it's like putting yourself in that person's position and that's why it's horrific. But what's truly horrific about obsession, obsessed, obsession, sorry. Obsession. Let me start over. Obsessed, obsession. Obsession. Beyonce, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a horrible yeah. Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> To which I thought would discourage her from acting again, but whatever. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> obsession, to me, is more horrifying than Forensic Files. Same, same. Because I have to, it's, just it's the so only real. show I have to take breaks from. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't watch it. I could not watch it back to back to back to back. I had to stop. I had to watch other things. I but, still um, think about it. Oh my God. But there was I, too, have had my own experiences with stalking and... I, too, have been told that there's nothing that can be done. Wow. And I have actually had people say, isn't it flattering? Oh, my God. Aren't you flattered that somebody, you know, would be so into you that they would stalk you? And it's like, oh, yes, absolutely. I find the fear and the uncertainty and uh, the constant harassment, it's extremely flattering. I look in the mirror every day and think, yeah, damn, I'm so great, you know? I'm stalk worthy. I love look. I love breaking my neck. 
from constantly looking over my shoulder. Yeah, I love it. So anyone listening, never, ever, ever say that to anyone. This has been a public service announcement from <laughs> Take our advice. Yeah, take but that there is seriously. one particular episode that I think about so often, and it scares the hell out of me. It is season three, episode two. It is an episode called Exposed. And it's a woman. She's in her late 20s. She buys a house for the first time. And she's she's single. And she's so proud of herself that she's bought this house. And, you know, she's starting this life. And her career is going. And she's moved into this new neighborhood. And a man who she who she doesn't know starts stalking her. And she starts noticing that her patio furniture at night has been turned over. And she chalks it up to the wind or maybe maybe an animal. And then she starts noticing that the ground underneath her bedroom window has been disturbed. But she kind of rationalizes it. Oh, maybe it's the neighbor's dog or, or something. And then one night she's in bed and she wakes up because she feels someone staring at her. And there's a man staring through her bedroom window. And she can see the outline of his figure. And it's the middle of the night. And then she sees the red light of a video camera and he's filming oh her through the blinds. That episode and she terrified me. is so terrified. And it's in the days before cell phones. So in order to make a phone call, she would have had to have gotten up. And the fear just kind of takes over and she can't move and she doesn't move. And she's just, you know, in bed trying to pretend like this isn't happening and she's terrified and a lot of people you know it's easy to criticize these women why didn't they do this why didn't they do that you know back off <laughs> like it's not it's not a normal situation that the woman's going through and there is no right or wrong way to handle it you know, to some degree and then he becomes bolder and he mm -hmm. starts showing up in the middle of the day and filming her through her windows. And, I remember this terrifying. This shit scared it's the shit out oh, of me because God. he was a per he was a complete like he was a complete stranger. She didn't know him at all. Apparently, at all. He, he saw just, her jogging one day oh. and just followed her. And in the end, it, it turns out that he had been doing this to multiple other women. She wasn't the only one. That's right. Because when the cops yeah. busted him at the end, he had a whole he had had like a whole shrine of okay. pictures of random women and videotapes and, and videotapes. And she did eventually, you know, tell the neighbors and call people, and nobody could do anything. No, you know, nobody. Uh, they, I think they had a, a cop do, you know, a couple drive-bys and whatnot. But when you're living in that kind of fear and your home is no longer a safe space, that is the most terrifying thing to me. Because you want to feel safe in your own house. And she very clearly didn't. And this is an episode where I don't want to spoil the end. I can just <laughs> watch it because this shit turns into Die Hard. It's yeah. crazy yeah. how this woman decides to take control and take her life back and on one hand bitch is crazy like <laughs> it's nuts what she does oh on the other hand she got tired of it, it she got tired of works. it of being tormented you know she takes matters into her own hands and i won't spoil it and i don't i think you would agree it's not something to be spoiled it is something to be watched 
and you can kind of do a little, you know, you go girl cheer at the end. Like, it's nuts. It's crazy what she did, but I'll be damned if it didn't work. Like, geez, I don't know if I would have been able to do what she did. You know what? I'm not going to spoil it either, but it's a miracle that she didn't get hurt. It's unbelievable that she didn't get hurt. Truly. Yeah, because if I were her, if if that were happening late at night, like, and here's the thing, it's not, just to let y'all know, it's not like she didn't call the police. Oh, she did. called the cops. It's just that he would just leave. Like, he would just casually just walk away before they and got there. To the and cops they would be credit, like, they had nothing to go on. You know? Yeah. Just, there was nothing they could do. I think they did, you know, a few nights they they had a patrolman do drive-bys and, and sit outside her house. And, you know, I do understand to some degree it's, you know, what can they do when there's so little to go on? But in other instances, it's it's known who the person is, like the the woman or sometimes the man can identify their stalker. And law enforcement still doesn't do anything. And you have to think, why does there need to be a dead body before anyone takes this stalking, you know, seriously, especially if they can name who it is, you know? Yeah. Why does it have to resort to a violent act? Why does it have to build up to that point? Why does someone have to almost be murdered in some cases? Yeah, some you cases know, murdered, actually. <laughs> yeah. Attempted murder. Yeah. And there was one where someone at the end of season three, there was like that episode. Okay. I don't want, I don't want to spoil it too. How do I I not spoil it? You can't. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can't spoil that one, but watch the last episode of season three. Watch the last episode of season three. Cause my mouth hung open. I've never, I've never, I've never, I had to rewind it. I was like, wait, what? Oh my God. Like it does not, end very well that that was that episode was crazy i was silent i didn't talk same that's how i didn't either i was so shaken that's how shaken up i was with that particular episode so i guess what we're saying is uh forensic files is a classic standby for true crime it is i mean quintessential if you're going to get into true crime if you're looking for an in that's a good one if you haven't like dipped your toe into the world of true crime yet uh, obsession is my current obsession, so <laughs> I would highly recommend it, even though I'm out of episodes and waiting for a new season, even though I'm kind of not because it terrifies me, but I am, you know. You know. <laughs> I am too. I'm waiting for a new episode, but I'm wondering how they're going to top that Ugh. season three episode because they completely know. flipped the the script like they completely flipped how the narrative is you know and these and this is how they start out with the series with the bang the first just to let y'all know the first episode of the entire series starts with a woman talking about how she was almost a victim of a serial killer that's how they start like oh that one fucked me up too that one that one man like that one was so intense. And I was like, this is the first episode of the entire like, show. This it's is- the reason I can't walk by windows at night. Like, <laughs> you know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to pee, too bad. <laughs> I'm not getting up. <laughs> you think, oh, good thing I bought these diapers. Just going to have to yeah. hold it. Like, yeah. I'm not getting up. Yeah. Nope. So, oh. I mean, where did where does a true crime obsession go? I mean, it doesn't have to go anywhere because there's so much available. Yeah, and I not only like the shows where it talks about the victim's perspective, 
I like shows that speculate that the perpetrators may be innocent. Because it really just, it does speak to what I've learned, what I've already kind of knew, but now I definitely kind of see to how bad to an extent it is, like how bad our criminal justice system is, like our court system and our jury system. And the fact that some prosecutors will just try cases based on nothing, like little, like no evidence, like all, all circumstantial evidence that could just be just coincident, coincidental that people on juries don't take into consideration that some cases, some people may be framed or in some cases I kind of understand where the jury can be kind of misled because prosecutors, they leave out a ton of information, you know, they leave out purposefully leave out illegally leave out evidence that could help the defense's case and like the defendant's case and some of these defendants, like the defendant on um, Serial, the Serial podcast, the first episode, not the first episode, but the first season, um, that particular young man who went to prison almost for life in, in Adnan Baltimore. Adnan Sayed. Adnan Sayed, yeah. He for is in prison for life as far as yeah, I Yeah, he's still in prison. He's still trying to, um, trying to appeal. Um, the appeal process, it's like on the state level, before you get to the federal courts, it's like try overturning that shit. It's almost as if they don't even read the briefs. It's almost as if they don't even look at the new evidence that might be introduced. They just kind of go with whatever the the prosecution's evidence was or whatever the jury uh, agrees to. Cases rarely get overturned because municipalities don't want to admit that they're wrong. Like governments like, you know, counties and, 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 um, and wherever that person is, is being tried, a lot of the times like the systems of government Rather than like save face and admit that they put somebody in jail for something that they didn't do, they rather just keep them there and 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 make them prove it. You really are guilty until proven innocent, like for real. Yeah, and a lot of people don't, don't understand really, that. I think it's really pulled back the veil mm-hmm. of how our criminal justice system works. You know, yeah. and I would say that a lot of that started, you know, with the case of the last century, O.J. Simpson. Mm. I mean, that's where a lot of people's true crime obsession started. That case was televised in a way that it was like the Super Bowl, the way people watched it. And I remember being in school um, the last day of the trial when, when the verdict was read and like the school basically shut down so we could all listen to it. That's how big this thing was. Wow, so really? It that in the trial's importance cannot be overstated and there was so much more going on obviously than just the actual trial itself but i think a lot of this true crime that we've been watching you know um documentaries like making a murderer and the first season of serial really pulls back the veil and allows people a glimpse into the criminal justice system where they might not have previously had it before and just how whether or not Adnan Syed is is guilty from serial is <clears> not, kind of not still guilty. up for debate <laughs> right not but get, what he guilty, was charged on was yeah. ridiculous yeah. under the tenets of our of our justice system right yeah. he was not given a fair trial that is not under debate what gets me 
It's how some cases go to trial based on just testimony alone. And and from witnesses, like, I feel like sometimes they just kind of, sometimes these, these police departments just have witnesses on their payroll or, like, witnesses who are willing to just say anything. Like, for example, in Forensic Files, they put this guy in jail and tried him for murder and he was about to go to trial based on some witness saying, oh, she saw him at a party with blood on his shirt. And they and they locked him up based on that. And he's like, I didn't do this. And his DNA did not match the DNA at the crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because before DNA testing really became a thing, I mean, witness testimony and circumstantial evidence was really yeah. all they had to go on, you know? Yeah. But, and I think what's really fascinating you know, last year they they unmasked the the Golden State Killer mm-hmm. through, you know, genealogy, basically all those one two three you and me match whatever ancestry.com. Where you came from. There we go. Whatever. Yeah, I mean these these kind of like deep dives into genealogy and DNA is not only solving you know decades old cold cases, which is phenomenal. And, and incredible in its own right, but it's also exonerating a lot of people, you know, and it, it, DNA is so important. And it's kind of scary to think that we've been trying people for hundreds of years now without it, <laughs> based yeah. on nothing but testimony and circumstantial evidence, you know, it brings into question how high is the wrongful conviction rate? Probably a lot higher than we think it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's significantly higher. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of other structural things that are in play. There's a lot of economic things are that are in play. You know, like yes, it does I feel like it it it's it's just a shame to see that this is supposed to be the you know, the biggest, most powerful democracy supposedly in the world. To see our criminal justice system be so entangled with corporate interests and that we're willing to just put people in jail, just fill up jails for like based on nothing. You know, I mean, there's some people who genuinely need to be there who, who say that they didn't do it. They're innocent. Ted Bundy before he was killed before he was executed. But there's people who were just like screaming like this one, the guy that I was talking about in the forensic files episode, the one that it was convicted on the, on the not convicted, but like, like imprisoned based on testimony. He said, it's like being at the bottom of a well and screaming at the top of your lungs and people looking into the well and just walking by and leaving you there. Knowing, knowing that they can help you. you. No, who's going to believe you're just a criminal. You know, you, you, you're already in this system. You're now free labor and it's the, it's new slavery. It really is. Like I said, there's a lot of people who don't deserve to be there. There's a lot of people who do deserve to be there. And from what I've learned in true crime, <laughs> um, a lot of those people on forensic files deserve to be oh, in yeah. jail. <laughs> like for Nobody's real. Nobody's sitting here and saying that everyone deserves a jail. No, 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 no. Yeah. But I do think that true crime exposes a lot of economic and, you know, racial elements to our uh, criminal justice system that make mm-hmm. people uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And it, it, it also, it touches on 
how our criminal justice system, for lack of a better word, is completely and utterly fucked and needs a complete rehaul. So oh, a complete rehaul. Like someone's hope should not be the Supreme Court. Yeah. It should not be. I feel like our our local state level court systems need need to just be completely overhauled. Like completely on the lo- like on the state level. You know, I'm not talking about the federal circuit courts. I'm not talking about that way, you know, that wave of appeals. I feel like you have, you know, more of a chance of getting an impartial um kind of verdict or an impartial decision. But on the local it's like every case, every case that I've read about or seen, like unless there is a substantial amount of evidence and mistakes that have been made, they don't get overturned. And sometimes even in the face of substantial mistakes and blunders, like I said, the state, not like the state in a general sense, the government doesn't want to admit that it's wrong. It'd rather just keep people there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the spirit of this being our true crime episode, uh, we are going to keep with that theme when I get to ask Jovi my favorite question of this week and every week. Uh, what are you crushing on this week, Jovi? What am I crushing on this week? So my crushing on is actually based on a book. And it's not about like literal like crime. I feel it's more so about the cultural crime of normalcy. And I'll, and I'll elaborate on that. Like it, it, it kind of speaks to the idea of what is normal and why are we punishing people for not fitting within the boundaries of what is considered normal? And the documentary is on Hulu again. Monster. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, you know what? The, one of the reasons why I've been watching a lot of Hulu is because uh, my parents changed the Netflix password and I can't, ah, I can't seem to get in there. Um, anyways, but I found some really good documentaries. And the one that I watched was Far From the Tree, which is based on a New York Times bestselling book of the same name. And the author of the book decided at first he was going to write a book about being gay and trying to create some kind of form of acceptance of himself. But he said that the book turned into people raising children who are different from them and how they navigate acceptance within the family union and acceptance within like the outside world and society. So a lot of the family, he talks about his own experience with his mom never accepting him being gay, his parents completely just not shunning him, but just being very, very, just like, well, you'll never have a family, you'll never be happy. And him trying to, him hating himself and him trying to change himself by going through conversion therapy. And then in the documentary and in the book, it talks about different families with different situations. So one of the families had an autistic child that they, they were struggling with helping their child and also helping their child live, you know, a quote unquote normal life, going to school with other kids. There were a couple people who had, who were, um, dwarfism. There's a couple who were both little people and they were talking about them growing up being, you know, having siblings that were, you know, I don't want to say normal size, but, um, they were, you know, normal size and they were, you know, had little siblings and them trying to have children and them wondering how they were going to raise their child as little people, whether their child were going to be, you know, um, 
regular size or little, like how are they going to raise their child? There's also a, 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 a family where they, this woman had an adult son who had Down syndrome and she was talking about how um, his father just so happens to be a researcher in that, in like that particular field in Down syndrome. And as a kid, he, um, they did everything they could, they gave him every possible resource. They, they, you know, taught him things. They treated him as if he was, you know, not that he was a normal, not a normal child, but they made sure that he got an education and he was actually the poster child for what, de- you know, people with disabilities could do what they're capable of. Because back in the seventies, you know, they would be labeled as, I hate to use this word, but as like retarded, you know, they would use that particular word and say, you know, cast people with Down syndrome as not being mentally able and capable to learn or be smart. And he knew how he spoke like three languages. He knew, you know, he was a very, very smart guy. But then as he became an adult, you really see his limitations, um, you know, being an adult with Down syndrome and trying to navigate his life and his mom, you know, trying to be there for him. And then you have a family, the last family, who their son murdered somebody when he was 16. And he didn't know why he did it. And he was 16 years old. He was hanging around like the like the pond by their house. And their eight-year-old neighbor just sort of walking him by the pond. And just out of opportunity, he slit his throat and killed him, an eight-year-old. And his family were just trying to come to terms with like rebuilding the family unit and still having him, this guy be a part of the family. He was in prison now for like life, you know? And his siblings saying they don't want to have children because they don't know how their child would turn out. Because this guy, the murderer, I don't know him murderer, but the the kid who murdered someone, um, he had he had absolutely no motive, and he basically threw his life away. And his mom was like, you know, whenever someone asked me, "Hey, oh, you have kids? Well, you know, how old are your kids?" She says that like she doesn't even tell people about her son who's in jail for murder because of how people react. So even though each of these stories are different stories, what the author of the book on, he's also in the documentary, Far From the Tree, what he tries to convey is that society, we often put labels on people. We often, what we need to question is what is normal, not just within the family unit, but what we consider, you know, like normal, like normal people, like how should we treat people, you know, that, that don't fit outside of the norm and should we broaden what that means? So it's a really good documentary. It's, I kind of stumbled upon it and I was kind of watching it, you know, and I and kind of like not really watching and I really, really started getting into it because it's actually really interesting. So watch it on Hulu, Far From the Tree. All right. I have two recommendations this week. The first is, if you have not read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, uh, stop what you're doing. Go buy it and read. Just do it. Don't ask oh. questions. Just go buy it and read it. I've what heard a lot, of good, a lot of good things about that book. Yes, I highly recommend it. Um, it goes with our theme of true crime. It is very, very readable and endlessly depressing. So if that's your jam, get on it. And my second recommendation is another YouTube channel. I know I recommended one last week. That's why I threw a book in there. So, <laughs> um, so 
It is a YouTube channel called Lazy Masquerade. And it's exceedingly simple in its concept. This guy narrates scary true stories. And he'll do themes like scary, you know, back to school stories, scary camping stories, scary nightclub stories, scary babysitting stories. And he gets a lot of his stories from his listeners and his subscribers. But the way he narrates, there's a lot of channels like this I've discovered where people just narrate true crime stories against, uh, you know, backdrops of various pictures. His voice is so perfect for this. It's just fantastic. And the way that he tells a story, I don't know if they're all true or not. Who the hell knows? But the way he tells them is so captivating and engaging. I, honest to God, will just throw on a video sometimes while I'm, like, making lunch and just listen to him. And the best part is there's nothing really to watch. He's got some scary pictures up there, but you can just throw it on, listen to it, move on to the next one. It's very, very well done. I've really enjoyed it. You know, I love a good scary story from time to time. So uh, that's Lazy Masquerade on YouTube. Check them out. You and I talk, I will be in Wyoming. <laughs> which that's is crazy. right. That's yeah. right. It's Christmas in Wyoming. It's always Christmas in Wyoming, apparently, <laughs> without the cheer and the merriment. Um, but uh, it'll be fun to talk to you and update you on that and uh, update you, dear listeners, on how everything is going. We're at the end of our show. We are. Uh, tune in next week when we talk about something. Yeah. We're not sure yet, but it's something. Yeah, we got something. I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's brewing. All right. Stay safe. Uh, Don't leave your house, but don't stay in your house. Um, Figure (laughs) that out. And we will see you next time. That's right. All right. Bye.